This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. So good morning, everyone. It looks like there's a little bit less of us here this morning, and I'm not surprised because we've had uh, a lot of a lot of Thanksgiving going on, a lot of holiday uh, things gearing up. Um, and what a great time to talk about glory, especially as we are um, beginning to look into Advent, um, thinking about Jesus coming to earth, and um, like John talks about how we beheld his glory. We beheld the, the glory of the, the Son of God. Um, I want to confess, so this is a, when I saw the list of what the topics were early on and we were picking out, I was like, ooh, 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 I want that one. And, um, and I love this topic, but it's, it's a hard one. <laughs> it definitely is a, a I, I feel like if I were to give an analogy for, for what I felt like as I was digging into um, the topic of glory and specifically like what does it mean that, that Jesus said I shared my glory with them, with us? What does that really mean? Um, the answers to these questions, like you seem like, oh yeah, that seems like I can figure out what that means. And then, but it's like, you know, when you're driving and you see a rainbow, you know, the beauty of that rainbow and you're like, oh, it's right there. The end of it is going right into that field. And as soon as you drive up to it, it like just pops over the next hill <laughs> and it just keeps on going beyond you. And you think you're, you're just about to get it and then it just eludes you. Or, um, you know, stars that you can kind of see out of the peripheral vision, but then as soon as you look directly at it, it kind of disappears. That's kind of how I felt with some of the concepts today. So, um, Holy Spirit, please uh, come with us today and, um, and show, us, show us your glory, God. Um, the definition of glory, um, glory is not necessarily a word that we use a whole lot um, in modern English you know, conversation today. And if you want to really dig into what glory means, I highly recommend um, if you go look at the Bible Project, Tim Mackey is one of the founders of that, and he has his own private podcast um, that has a lot of sermons and podcast things that he records personally. It's a little different than um, off of the, the Bible Project, but it's his personal podcast. And he has one on the topic of glory. And he preaches for an hour, ladies, on glory. <laughs> and it is so enlightening. It is wonderful. I'm not going to be able to um, go into all of that, obviously. But if we were to give um, a definition, a dictionary definition of glory... Um, it would be high renown or honor won by notable, notable achievements, magnificence, or great beauty. If we look at the Greek word for it, it's doxa, and I didn't look too much into the meaning of the Greek. I focused more on the Hebrew, which is the word kabod. Now, the Hebrew word kabod is used in, the, in a lot of interesting, slightly different ways in scripture. Um, many times, it's spoken of as if God's glory, his kabod, is a literal manifestation of light. So we see that when the angels show up on the hillside to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone around them, um, which is really kind of interesting. So that's why we often think of halos and things like that. When we think of glory, we often think of light. Um, it's often in implied 
that idea of honor or majesty or reputation when Jesus talks about how he did the work of his father and it glorified him. So there's a sense that, that God's um, majesty or his reputation is uh, lifted up by, by Christ doing his will. Um, it's also, you can also think of it in terms of like wealth, um, things that you have pride in. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I'm, but I'm guessing that maybe some of this is because in ancient times, like if you were to point to your wealth or, or to say how much wealth you have, you wouldn't measure it in dollars or shekels or things like that. You'd, you'd weigh it. You would weigh, you know, how I have so many pounds of silver or gold. And the literal meaning of the word kabod is actually weight. So there's this fascinating... Um, use of this this like a literal physical term to describe something that's a little bit more intangible and we kind of do that in the english language as well when we think about you know you think about something as serious we'll say it's very weighty um or even if you think about you know it's um the gravity of a situation oh you have a heavy moment um things like that but also just think about if you were to meet a dignitary or a, even a celebrity, or someone very important, someone who's great. If you were to plunk down in the same room with George Washington, there would be a sense of weight in that, wouldn't there? would be like, a, oh, something changes. You're feeling the kabod of that person, the weight of their glory. So God's kabod is seen in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's seen in his love and his wisdom and his goodness. Moses said, show me your glory. And, and God, interestingly, passed before him and declared his name. So his name is often kind of bound up in, in his glory. But the Bible also teaches us something, you know, even though um, we often, I think in a secular, worldly sense, often think about our, the glory of humans as being physical, or at least um, like in ancient times, if you would talk to a king and say, well, what is his glory? He'd probably point to his kingdom. He'd talk about the buildings that are erected, you know, with his name on them. And, you know, his storehouses of weapons and wealth and, and things like that. Um, but the Bible teaches something very unique about the kabod of humanity, of being a human. And that is that humans were made in the image of God. And again, I wish that I had time this morning to go into that. And if you do want to know more about what it means to be made in the image of God, the Bible Project has a very excellent video specifically on that topic. Um, and a couple years ago, we here at Sunset wrote a Bible study on some of those videos. And I had the, the privilege of being able to study that, that topic about image of God. And so even if you go digging in our church's podcast, Somewhere a couple years ago, there's a podcast where I got to teach on that. So um, you can, whether you go to the Bible, the Bible Project video is a, a very quick little overview, but it does a very good job of um, showing what that means. But basically, what it says is that there is something intrinsically wondrous about humans, about being human something that was hardwired in, designed into being human, that reflects the character of who God is. And we have not just a special role, uh, or not just a special design, but we also have a special role on earth in that we represent God on earth. 
and we live out his rule in creation. So when God blesses humanity and he tells humans to fill the earth and to multiply and to um, have authority over all the creatures and things like that, um, he's, he's wanting humans to be little kings, little queens on earth, living out his rule because we are uniquely qualified to be able to do that because there's something designed in us that expresses who he is so that we would do it the way that he does. Of course, there's that caveat of sin, right? <laughs> we have fallen far short of that glory. Um, but sin doesn't erase our identity. It doesn't, it mars it, it twists it, but it doesn't mar that identity. Um, and in spite of sin over history, we see this really strange dichotomy where if you look at the achievements of mankind, I mean, think about it. <laughs> Humans are pretty amazing. And I was thinking about it a lot this week because my son is um, doing a project studying explorers, and so he's studying James Cook. And when you think about what it took to be able to cross the ocean in that time period, what it took to be a sailor, the things that they, that they underwent, the, you know, um, it's, it's incredible. I, like, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Um, and when you think about the cultures and the people that he was interacting with in, in the Pacific, um, those Polynesian people, those people did not have access to metal tools. And yet they were building these, um, these boats that were capable of traveling immense distances across the ocean with things that they were, you know, building with, with you know, the, the limited tools they had. That was, it just, it's mind-blowing. And when you think about today, I mean, we can easily say, oh, yeah, smartphones and technology, and isn't it amazing? But for heaven's sakes, I was sitting at my kitchen table and going, I'm, I'm looking at a pineapple that was grown halfway around the world, <laughs> and it's in my kitchen, and I can eat it, you know. And, and you think about how many people, how many people's lives were um, involved in getting that pineapple to my kitchen. That was pretty crazy, you know? Everything around us, just everything, you just sit there, and I just don't know how sometimes we don't all just walk around with our jaws gaping, you know, at the miracle of what it is to, to be surrounded by um, everything that we touch that is a product of, of human ingenuity and creativity and genius. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. And yet, as amazing as humans are, they are capable of great and terrible things, right? There's, there's the dark side of that as well, of what humans are capable of in sin. There's this, this sense of like, anytime you go look in a mirror and you go, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, um, James Cook, at the, towards the end of his life, he was a, a great and noble guy and he, it's a, He's a, he's a kind of an explorer that you kind of like to look up to, but there are elements of his life later on in his life where he was proud, and it kind of, and he got jaded, and he made bad decisions, and he lost the respect of his, um, of his crew, because fame and all of those things kind of subtly changed him in the end. And you look at the people that he was interacting with, as incredible as those indigenous people were, 
they were also, they were cannibals, and they ended up cannibalizing some of his crew, and they ended up um, murdering him. Um, and, and so, you know, there's this, there is this sense of like looking in the mirror and sometimes going, wow, as, as, as amazing of a miracle as it is to be, to be alive, to be a human, and to be part of, of this um, great human family. There are some days when we're just like, man, I don't even know how I get my pants on straight in the morning. <laughs> you know, I don't know how um, we, we know our own weakness and our own foibles. And that's why I think, you know, the, the term human, we, we typically don't think about greatness. We think about that in terms of, oh, to be human is to, is to make mistakes, to err, to be imperfect. Um, Psalm 8, which we took a look at in this lesson today, expresses a very relatable truth. It contrasts the fact that um, as much as God has in, he's crowned humans with honor and glory, um, that, that authority, that strength, that glory come from God. They don't come from, from us. They come from God. God has given us that blessing and that authority to be able to, um, to rule in the world. And I love verse 4. This was what really drew it all together for me. Verse 4 in that psalm says, um, no, actually, verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. There's this truth that God uses weakness. He uses weak things. Um, and that's often how he chooses to, to be glorified. Now, our study has um, some things in there about um, humans initially being um, higher than the angels. And actually, that's something that I don't actually agree with. As I was um, digging into the specifics of that, I found that I, I didn't necessarily come to the same conclusion that he did. But, um, but I totally agree that uh, mankind was intended to, to be God's uh, image bearer on earth and that, um, that Jesus comes as um, both fully God and fully man he is able to live into and fulfill humanity's failed promise, what it means to be human. Jesus shows us what it means to be human. And he doesn't do it by winning a Nobel Prize or by military might or great clouds and crowds and acclaim. He doesn't do it by the things that we think of as often being praiseworthy. He does it... Um, in John's words, you know, Jesus knew that everything had been given unto him, and what does he do? He puts aside his outer garment and wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He does it through service and suffering and sacrifice. So in Christ, we see heaven's kingdom, and it's as if he took the words glory and power and authority and turns them inside out. Because he uses and he displays them in a way that is contrary to how we do so in our human kingdoms. Yes, in the kingdom of God, there is order and structure and hierarchy even. Um, there's individual identity and will. Um, there's ruling and obedience and submission. And yet, as we look at the picture of the Trinity that Jesus shows us in, um, in the high priestly prayer, 
we find that the purpose of power is not to build up the self, but it's to dignify, to elevate, to empower, to serve, to sacrifice others. It's to give life. And I think when we look at ourselves and we look at how we've been using those things, how we've been um, interpreting those things, it's like we've been all of a sudden discovered that, that we've been given a telescope, but we've been using it like a hammer our whole lives. And God just kind of says, no, 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 this is what it's for. Let me show you how to really use this. And like light, we think about glory in terms of light. Like light, the direction of God's glory is always outward, not inward. It's not about, oh, look at me on the pedestal. Everyone look at me. It's, it's, light is always, it's out. And so God is always, in the picture of the Trinity, we see this picture of loving and revealing and unity and glory. And Jesus is calling us into that so that we can in turn be a witness to the world. So what does Jesus mean, I've shared my glory with them? And how do we emulate that within the church and as disciple makers? Um, I kept coming back to that question. And it's like, this is the, this is the title of this, right? Um, so what does that really mean? And I kept on kind of feeling like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just about there. And then it just kind of like slips out of my grasp to do exactly to put it into words. But I think sometimes it's a little bit more felt that that sense of glory being weight. It's something that's felt. In the church, I think we can share glory by developing a culture of honor and empowerment and unity. I think we can do it by understanding the purpose of power and authority in God's kingdom. That power is not meant to be merely balanced with love, but it's meant to be a force of love. And what really kind of... Um, personalized everything and, and made it kind of come home for me was I was talking with my husband and real recently he has gotten hooked on a series on Netflix called Medal of Honor and it what it does is it takes a look at um, recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor which is our nation's highest military often honor and it's often given usually given um, posthumously and the reason why is because um, these individuals, yes, they often do uh, exemplify superhuman feats. We're talking people who um, wind up doing the, the work of an entire battalion because everyone else except for one other guy is dead. And, and, and like there's one example of a guy who he held a hill all night long by himself. There were four different machine gun nests and he went from one to another to another and he had one buddy who managed to kind of be alive during that time. Um, and he would just kind of, because he knew that this was in the Korean War and he knew that, that there was an entire um, other battalion that was coming up the hill at him. And so he knew that if he let if he just stayed in the one spot they'd know up oh, there's only one guy up there and they would overrun him and everyone behind him would be slaughtered and so he went and snuck around behind and little by little shoot out of one and then he'd go to another one and shoot out of that one and then go to another one and he kept that up all night long and he was able to do it so successfully that the enemy figured that there was actually more people up there than there were 
you know, within their numbers, and they retreated. Um, the saddest thing about his story is that, so there was a friend of his, like I said, who had been temporarily blinded, so all he could do to help was to throw a grenade every now and then. Um, and it got to the end, and um, this, this individual, I think it was like Joe Vittori is his name, and, and he, he told the, the guy who had been blinded, you go back now, <laughs> it's quiet. He assumed they've all retreated, and he goes, you go back now, I'll cover you. And with that, a bullet came and hit him in the head, and he died right there after holding an entire hill all night. And, and so you, you hear these kind of stories, and you're just like, wow, I can't imagine how this guy did that. Um, you know, they're just amazing superhuman feats that they're able to do. Um, and there's glory in that. Heaven knows there's glory in, in being able to, to maintain that, to do that. But when you hear the interviews of the individuals that they saved, when you hear the interviews with the family that they've left behind, you see that the real legacy, the real kabod that they leave behind is in those individuals because they paid their life for theirs. Um, and that is, and, and those people, it's just, like, I, I highly encourage you to, I mean, it's, some of it is, is kind of hard to listen to these stories, but when you, when you see the interview with, with, like, the one guy then who, who, his life was saved through this whole night, or his friends who then were behind and go and say, yeah, they, it was this one guy, and he, he saved us all. And they remember, when they're remembering that sacrifice, there is this moment of holiness, is probably about the only way that you can describe it. There's, there's heaviness. Yeah, there's a heaviness of sorrow, but beyond that, there is a weight that just kind of comes upon them and comes upon the moment as they remember them. And it's the weight of that sense of, of what, was, what was sacrificed, what was given on their behalf. And I think that that shows us a, a different way of how glory is, is shared. That glory is, is shared with them in that sense. And it changes them. Because how could it not? And the interesting thing is my husband was saying, he's, he's watched a ton of these, and he goes, you know, there's this really interesting kind of thing that um, oftentimes if they, had, if they had children that survived or, you know, family members, that oftentimes, sometimes the trajectory of that family is all of a sudden you have children and grandchildren and, and people who they, they all enlist and they all become um, inspired to, um, to be able to follow in the footsteps of, of that Medal of Honor recipient. Um, and, and even if they, they don't, that, you can tell that there is a sense of, of dignity and a sense of, um, I need to live my life in a way that reflects the magnitude of the sacrifice. I need, I want to be a better person. Um, that it is just really um, moving and beautiful. And I think that, you know, that just really for me um, is such a beautiful picture of what Christ did for us. And it should be such a beautiful picture for how we then respond to um, how Jesus gave his life for us. Because 
the thread in all of these characters, and this is, this is the quote that, that one of the military historians or whatever who was saying, he said, there's a thread between all of these Medal of Honor recipients, and it's not that, um, you know, why they do it. It's not that they go on the battlefield and want to be Rambo, you know. Um, but there is a sense, there is a bond between the individual and the group that is so strong that it compels that individual to do what they do. And there's, a, there's this mentality of, it's not just like love of country or whatever, but it's a, these are my friends and they're in trouble. And so I'm going to go and do what needs to be done on their behalf. And that's what Jesus did for us. There is such great glory in that, and it's, and it's shared with us. And it's the kind of glory that, that doesn't just point inward to then say, oh, well, I guess I'm worth so much. I guess I'm so great and glorious. But it instead points outward, and it makes us desire to pour out, to continue to pour out to other people. It's a glory that goes outward. So let's pray together and say, Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we honor you and we glorify you. And we thank you, Father, for, we thank you, Jesus, for telling us about that, that parallel about how God um, sent you to us. So Jesus, you revealed the Father to us and that glorified him. And then you sent the Holy Spirit. And there is something so wonderful in, the, in those words, Jesus, that you said that that as you send the Holy Spirit to us, you tell the Holy Spirit just what to say to us. And so the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us, and it reflects glory back to Christ. Jesus, we want to glorify you, and Father, we want to glorify you, God, and we want to be changed by your glory. So God, I pray that um, as this, this topic is something that sometimes we feel it's hard to sometimes wrap our, our minds around. Um, God, I pray that you would just invest our lives with the weight, the weight of your glory, um, so that you too would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.